Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Welcome, continuing in the laws of Brochus, Hilchot Brachot, chapter 7, Aleph 1. Min hoges rabbis nohagu chachme Yisrael besuda. The sages of Israel instituted or followed a variation of customs, many customs, when it came to partaking in their meal, which means this would simply be the adopted etiquette of eating. They are all mannered behavior, etiquette. So, as the commentaries explain, this etiquette changes different times, different places, different etiquette. This would be the etiquette of our sages, by and large, in a Babylonian culture. So it doesn't mean that we have to observe everything today. In fact, some or many of these laws are not brought down in the latter halachic codifiers. But it's an interesting study. It gives us background of a time and a place, and some of the laws are brought down. In general, as we've mentioned many times, the study of Rambam is a, is a study of developmental halacha rather than absolute halacha, because there is a Shulchan Aruch and other codifiers who follow, and so on and so forth. The Elohim. And these are these mannerisms and these customs. Kishenechnosim Lusuda, when a group of people enter into a meal, a banquet, Hagodel Shebekulam Neitelas Yodav The most honored, the greatest person of greatest stature washes his hands first. They then enter into the eating hall, into the dining room, and the senior, the person of greatest stature, reclines first. Back then they ate on recliners, on couches. It's one of the reasons we recline on Pesach, to show that we're free. Because people who were free people, who were not servants or slaves, when they ate, they reclined. So the most senior person, the person of greatest stature, sits and reclines on his couch first. The godel mese beresh, the senior person, reclines first. And the second, lamatehimeno, second. The next uh, recliner, if there were three, you have the person of greatest stature first, and the second, above him, and on the other, below him. So there was a certain etiquette of reclining. Based to Balabayis, the host, initiates the blessing of Hamotzi, the blessing for bread, Mashlim Habrocha. It is customary that he first completes the blessing. And only then should he break the bread. Which means that as we learn, there is value to saying the blessing on the bread before it's broken. On a whole loaf of bread. 
And that's the host. The guest, commonly, Mevorech, is given the honor of leading Birchas Amos and the Grace After Meals. And the reason for that is a logical blessing, because in the Grace After Meals, there is a blessing for the host. Let the guest bless the host. In order that he should bless the host. If they were all part of the host family, then the senior person does the hamotzi and breaks bread. And he as well does the grace after meals. Gimel 3. The person who's about to break bread is not permitted to do so. Until they bring salt or relish or whatever they put on bread those days and placed it with before each and every person. Because you don't want to make the bracha and then wait for the salt or the relish. And back then they would almost never eat plain bread. They would always dip the bread in some kind of dip, which he calls relisher. Unless their intent was just to eat bread, 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 then they don't need the relish. But usually you have salt or relish. Again, that was their culture. And when he breaks the bread or cuts the bread, he doesn't break or cut, not a small piece, because it looks like he's being very, very ungracious. It looks like he's being uh, cheap, only giving a small piece of bread. Should not break off or cut off a monstrous piece of bread, larger than the combined volume of an egg. Because he looks like he hasn't eaten in years. So you have to break off or cut off a normal piece of bread. However, on Shabbos, you break off a little bit of a bigger piece because it's Shabbos after all. Sometimes in bread, the bread bakes back then unevenly. So you Break off the bread from the well-baked portion where it's really good to eat from. Dalit, four. Mitzvah min amuvchar kikashlema. There is preference into breaking open a whole bread, which means that it's advantageous to making the bracha on a whole bread. Now, what if somebody has a choice? In Torah, the grains are enumerated in a certain order. And that order is chita usa'ora. First comes wheat, then comes barley. Which means that by Torah, wheat takes preference over barley. So if somebody had a whole loaf of barley bread, uprusa shalchitim and a piece of wheat bread, so he takes both the whole barley bread and the piece of wheat bread, and makes the blessing, so he can have a piece of each, because there is an advantage over the whole, and there's an advantage in the wheat. Shabbat and Chag, Chayiv on holidays, Chayiv Here we have the idea of Lechem Mishnah. This actually is rooted in the manna, which fell double on Friday, carried over to the Chag, to the festivals as well. So you need two breads. He takes both, holds them in his hand, but he breaks open one of them. 
Hey, five, Abitzea, the one who breaks the bread, gives a piece of bread to each and every person. And the other person picks up the piece of bread with his hand. And there's going to be discussion soon whether that's appropriate or not. Ella im Cain Hoyo I'm sorry. The one who breaks the bread should not put it into the hand of the one who's going to eat. Elim Cain Hoya Ovel, unless he was a mourner. Why? Because the custom there was that you give a mourner bread to console him. So you don't take it into his hand. I believe what it means is you put it down in front of him rather than putting it into his hand. He brings down here a verse. Zion stretched out her hands. There was none to comfort her. So stretching out a hand to take bread seems to be a sign of mourning. Therefore, it's best to place it in front of the person. That's what I believe the interpretation is. The one who breaks the bread, he's the one that extends his hand first and eats. And the gathered are not permitted Rashaim permitted, lit time to taste, until the one who makes the blessing tastes. Again, all of this is etiquette. Who's first, who's second, who's on first? The ein litem, and the person who breaks the bread is not permitted to taste, to eat his bread, until the vast majority of the assembled finish, complete their recital of Amen. And if the one who breaks the bread wants to honor his teacher or a VIP, he can have him have the bread before the one who broke the bread. So it's a, a matter of honor. Six. Back then they would serve a plate to a group of people and the group would eat from the same plate. So... It's customary for one to wait for the other. Two should wait for each other when they're sharing a plate. But if there's three, they don't have to wait for all three. If two finished, if two people ate and ate and finished, and the third one is just getting started, out of etiquette, he should finish as well. What if one of them finished? The other two don't have to stop. They can continue eat, to eat until they're finished. Now comes a very famous law. One may not talk while one eats. You have to swallow the food first and then talk. Talking while eating is, to quote Alfredo here, very dangerous. Today you shouldn't have to have the Heimlich maneuver. People should not endanger themselves. It's absolutely dangerous because we fear the food will go down the windpipe instead of the esophagus and the personal choke, which is why we don't talk while we're eating. In between courses, it is customary at a Jewish table to recite Torah, but not while you're eating. 
and therefore, because of this, if they brought wine during the meal, instead of having one person make the blessing and everybody else say Amen, better that each person should make his own blessing. Why? Because if one person made the blessing, and you can't pick and choose when to answer Amen. You have to answer only when the guy finishes the blessing. If at that moment you're swallowing and you're talking, you could endanger yourself. Therefore, it's best to know that you don't have to answer only if you're swallowing. You'll make your own blessing. <laughs> now comes an interesting law. You don't stare at someone who's eating. Or at his portion, not to embarrass him. Eating is a private thing. You don't stare somebody in the face while they're eating. Zayin, Hashamish, Shaimid the waiter, the server, who was there amongst the gathered, amongst the guests, amongst the diners. It's not etiquette for the waiter to eat with the diners. However, very often the server or the waiter was a poor person working for minimum wage. I hate to tell you what minimum wage was in Babylon 2,000 years ago. I don't think it was uh, $15 an hour. It would be an act of compassion. To give, to place in the mouth of the server. A taste from every course, just to be nice. Here are people working, serving food, and they're probably starving. In order to calm the person down, there's such aromatic food being served here. Obviously, if he's caught eating without permission, he would be fired. So, if you want to be a good guest, give the server a little food. It's like when you go to a bank, give the teller some money. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, that was a joke. If they give him wine, a person should make a blessing for every cup which he's given. Because his drinking is not dependent upon his desire, but upon the desire of those who give him. So he never knows when he's coming. He never knows when it's coming. Now here I just want to point out from Gemara Chun, that a person does not ordinarily recite a blessing on each cup of wine, because when reciting the blessing originally, he has the intent of drinking as much as he wants to. An attendant cannot possibly have such an intent. We're talking about the attendant here, because he's not allowed to drink unless he's given a drink by the people he's serving. So the attendant, if he's given wine, should make a blessing each time, because he never expected the second cup. So again, notes, uh, Halacha 7 was about the attendant's blessing. Eight. What if one of the diners went out to the restroom? If he just passed water, so to speak, and he has to wash at least one hand, because that's the hand that he used, and it may have become sullied. However, what if he went into conversation with someone else? And before he comes back, you should wash both hands because as time goes on, you never know where the hands end up and what it touches. Hand sanitation. If they were gathered to drink, 
and they're not even breaking bread. The person should sit down in his place, and in his place he should wash his hands, and then turn to face the people. Why should he wash in his place? Perhaps they'll say he didn't wash his hands because there's no meal, and it's not nice to sit down even to drink wine without washing the hands. Therefore, it's good to wash publicly for everyone to see, ah, this guy is maintaining the law of hand washing to be appropriate. This is not, I believe, ritual hand washing. This is sanitation hand washing. Now some more sanitary laws. Nine. Don't put raw meat on bread. Raw meat has all kinds of uh, stuff. You cook the meat to remove the stuff. Don't place raw meat on bread. Don't carry, hold a full cup of anything over bread. Because it'll spill on the bread and you'll kill the bread. In general, bread is referred to in Judaism as the stay of life. We have to respect bread. You don't use bread to lean a plate on. It's inappropriate to throw bread. Bread is sustenance. You don't throw bread. And large pieces of bread should not be thrown. You don't throw any food that doesn't have shells. Because you'll just waste the food. Like berries, grapes, and figs. Because they'll fall into mud, the mud and the blood and the beer, and they'll become disgusting. Why ruin good food? It's a shame to ruin food. When it comes to chatan, a chosen, a groom, and it's customary to throw candies or stuff, or they used to throw nuts or whatever it is. You have to make sure that it's wrapped properly and that you're not ruining the food. The Torah is very concerned about ruining good food. In a house of bridegrooms, it is permissible. They used to have piped wine where they used to run the the, the wine is collected in containers at the end of the pipes so that it's not wasted. And you can throw on the groom uh, roasted grains and nuts in the summertime, but not in the wintertime, because it's going to fall in the mud and you'll waste them. Which again is why I said the candy today should be wrapped. It's inappropriate for people to wash hands with wine. Let's say there's no water on the table. You need to wash your hands. You use wine. You're not concerned with wasting wine because you have a lot of wine or you have a lot of money. Not appropriate because it's a waste. Bein chai, whether it's raw wine, bein mozig, or mixed with water. Back then, the wine used to be made very, very strong. You needed to mix it with water, whether raw or mixed. So also the general rule is you don't waste food, you don't spoil food or drinks in an insulting or an unnecessary way. You have to respect the sanctity of food. Ten. It's forbidden for a guest to take anything from that which was placed by the host before them and to give it 
into the hands of the son, a bite or daughter, shall balabayas of the host. He figures he's going to be a good guest. You have the host's son or daughter standing there looking hungry. So he takes his piece of steak. He says, here, mamale, here, take. What's the problem? The problem is he may not have food for his kids. And you're expecting food. You're going to give it to the kid. You're expecting to be served another portion. There is no other portion. How is the host going to feel when he can't serve you? One of the greatest stories I've ever heard is the, uh, the host who has unexpected guests, VIP guests, and he says to his kids, listen, kids, we have these guests. Do me a favor. As we serve the fish, say, no, thank you. I really don't want fish, he says to his kids. And then as we serve the main course, say, no, thank you. I really am not hungry so that I can give it to the guests and we'll figure something out later. Anyway, they come out with the fish. No, thank you. We're really not hungry. All the kids say, no, thank you. We're really not hungry. And then the dessert comes out and the kids can't control themselves. They say, ooh, ooh, ooh. The mother says, you didn't have your main course. You didn't have your fish. No dessert for you. That's like a sad story. Brings tears to my eyes. Okay. So don't give the host's son or daughter the food and then expect more. The host should not become embarrassed. Because if truth be told, that's all he's got. So the children will take the food, they'll go, and the host is going to have to sit there and watch his guests not eat. Therefore, don't be, as we say, a chulchem. Don't be a wise guy and don't give your portion away to the host's kids. Another etiquette law. Don't send a barrel of wine to your friend as a gift. With oil at the top. Perhaps somebody will send them a barrel of wine. He'll think it has oil. And he'll invite people to immerse their hands in the oil or whatever the culture was. And it's only the very top that has the oil. She's going to invite people to eat oil or to use the oil, and is going to be embarrassed where, in fact, it's wine. Anything similar, which cause shame to the host, are forbidden. You're forbidden to do anything misleading or which will cause misunderstanding to embarrass the host. We have to be very sensitive not to embarrass people. Eleven, when they finished eating, they used to roll the table away like room service. And they, it's appropriate, he says, to sweep the place where they ate, making sure to remove whatever bread residue there is. And then they should wash their hands. Perhaps an olive-sized piece of bread is left there. It's forbidden to step on an olive-sized piece of bread or larger. Or to wash over them. But small crumbs, one may throw them away. And again, this is another example of where we see the laws of the sanctity of bread. Now when they bring water to wash, the after washing, 
Generally speaking, the one who's going to lead the grace after meals washes his hands first. In order that the person of greatest stature should not sit with dirty hands until everybody else washes. And the rest wash later, one after the other. This is not necessarily an aspect where honor is given. That's not where the honor should be given with washing dirty hands. Or crossing bridges. And, and not... Uh, Roadways, you give somebody honor to enter a door first if it's fit for a mezuzah, or when, kenisa, when we enter, and not even when we exit. 13, when they finished washing their hands, and they wiped their hands, and they did the great after meals, and then they brought the incense <clears throat> in that culture every Official, formal meal ended with incense. And there's a blessing for the incense, some kind of aromatic blessing. Misha Beirach Birchas the one who led the grace after meals, he leads the blessings over the incense. And they all answer Amen, and they enjoy the aromatic flavor of the incense. Im Hayasham Yayin, provided that there's wine, Mevian Kase Machsik you bring a cup that holds the minimum of a revius or more, 2.91 ounces, I think we said, or more. And they also bring spices. Back then, the culture was that for Birchat Amazon, they used not only wine, but they used spices as well. Bill Clinton never inhaled. He holds the wine in his right hand. And the spices in his left hand. <clears throat> and he does the grace after meals. And then, following the completion of the grace after meals, he makes the blessing for wine. And then he makes the blessing for spices. <clears throat> if the spices were a, like a perfumey spices where it's nice, people would like to walk around with that aroma. And you want to spread the good? They would take some of that aromatic perfume and rub it into the head of the server. Here, Tatala, here. Yeah, knock yourself out. Go smell good. However, if the server, the waiter, was a scholar and he shouldn't be walking around smelling like this, they'll say, Where, where's this guy been? Instead, they do it into the wall. It's inappropriate for a Torah scholar to walk around the fashmek in the in the in the streets because they'll speak badly about him that he's been God knows where. fifteen even though, according to the Rambam right here, from the main aspect of the law, one does not have to use wine for grace after meals, even though in our culture. And in our halacha, it is obligatory, to the best of my understanding, if there's a minion or more, or some people do it even when there's less, but certainly if there's a minion to do wine. But uh, the Rambam says it's not 100% obligatory. There's a... Well, let's look at this. In note 37 here, in the Mosnaim Rambam, it says that there are three different halachic perspectives on this issue. There's Tosvas and the Rosh, 
which consider reciting grace over a cup of wine as an obligation that must be fulfilled under all circumstances, even when reciting grace alone. That's not our custom. That of the medrish, hanalam rus, which requires a cup of wine only when grace after meals is recited with a zimun, and that of the Rambam and Rabbi Yitzhak Alfasi, the Rif, which consider reciting grace over a cup of wine a desirable custom, but not an obligation at all. Okay. In Bedechalayayan Kiminik Shamarnu, however, if somebody does do grace after meals on wine, it is customary to rinse the cup which is being used for grace after meals on the inside and to wipe it, to wash it, to, to rinse it on the inside and on the outside to make sure it is clean. And then he should fill it with undiluted wine. The kibon shigia the and when he comes to the blessing, praising Hashem for giving us Israel with all of its bounties, that's when he starts mixing some water into the wine, in order that it should be drinkable. Again, today the wine is already pre-mixed, but back then the wine was very strong, and then they would add water. What's the purpose of adding water at this point in time? In order to declare publicly, we've got good wine. Look, we have to put water into it. It's inappropriate to chat and to talk before one completes drinking the cup. If everybody's doing the grace after meals, wait patiently until the leader makes the bracha and consumes the wine. Everybody is silent until the grace after meals is over, is completed. And the blessing over the wine is completed. The yishtu, and then it's preferable for everybody to have a taste of the wine. And I just want to point out that at special occasions, such as holidays, when the Rebbe would break bread at the end of uh, major holidays, and he would lead the Birchat Amazon, the grace after meals, with wine, he would then stand for hours while... Rabbi Mentlik, the Rosh Hashiva in New York, would stand there with bottles and bottles and cases of wine, halachically refilling the Rebbe's cup. There's a law of how you refill the cup so you don't drown the original wine. And the Rebbe would stand for hours and giving hundreds and, and, and thousands of guests kos shalbracha, a cup of blessing. People would come from all over the Tri-City area for hours after the Chag. They would know that the Rebbe is giving wine, because to take from kos shel bracha is a merit, to take from kos shel bracha from the cup of blessing of a tzaddik is an incredible blessing, which, again, we've experienced from the Lubavitcher Rebbe in this wonderful setting where the yeshiva boys would stand and sing lively tunes for hours, and all of this is accessible on video today. Okay.